one. We're going to be talking about not only the church that God's love is building, but uh, about uh, a month ago or so, I announced that in March, we were going to be doing what I did last, Mar- last year in March. We talked about spiritual growth. And I think it's uh, advantageous as we approach the summertime, as we get uh, out of the, if you will, some of the winter doldrums to get cranked up a bit, uh, get our focus where it needs to be, and uh, turn our eyes, if you will, on Jesus, and get excited about who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. So it's it's very interesting. Uh, uh, again, about a month ago, I said, well, in March, we're going to be doing uh, one month, basically the entire month, 12 different messages. We still got a bunch over here. If you got more handouts on uh, my left, they'll get some more to you. And uh, lo and behold, what happens? Asbury, I get a call uh, when we were in Florida from uh, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. And some of you say, wait a minute, I thought Jimmy DeYoung had passed on. Well, his son is Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and we're good friends, lives down in uh, Texas. He calls me up and said, Rich, could you do a segment on my radio show last uh, week ago Friday? on the Asbury Revival. And I said, uh, sorry, brother, I don't even know what the Asbury Revival is. And I said, I'll be happy to do it, but I'm going to have to do some research first. So uh, I got on the Internet, started looking, and, of course, uh, how many of you are familiar with the Asbury Revival concept? All right, a good good per, good percentage of you. So uh, uh, I, I went on the Internet, started to get some insight as to what was going on at Asbury College, and uh, this basically, and many of you probably, if you've uh, looked on the internet and so forth, you've seen pictures somewhat similar to this. And uh, the big headlines were big revivals breaking out in Asbury College. Now, I'm not going to get into all, all of that right this time. I'm, I, uh, during the Sunday school hour, I'm going to address a little bit more about what's taking place at multiple colleges, what has taken place. Uh, basically, it's shut down at this point across the country. It kind of zoomed up for about a couple of weeks, and it's kind of plateaued and is now dying out. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, it, it got my attention because I wasn't planning on preaching on revival or spiritual awakening this week, but it's like it's so timely. It's so important what's taking place across the country. If you, uh, uh, Those of you that like to look at the Facebook accounts and uh, the blogs and all that, you'll find that this revival got a whole lot of attention. And attention is not always good. There were some that were just excited as could be about what was taking place, just praising the Lord. It's like, man, this is just absolutely wonderful. And then if you uh, read uh, the opposing side, and there was plenty of opposition to this that were uh, very negative about it, and it's like, all right, so I'm not here to discuss what happened down in Asbury. However, it's the perfect timing because as we enter into March, I truly do believe that uh, God's still alive. I still believe that God is still alive. And uh, I still believe that this book is his word. And uh, I believe all 66 books, 100% of it, is inspired by God and was given to us uh, as the Bible says in Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, that uh, we might be chirp, mature, that we might know what God wants us to do and be. And if it, the Asbury media attention did anything, it got people across the country thinking about: Is there such a thing as revival in twenty twenty three? Can God still do a marvelous, wonderful work in the hearts of people? in 2023. Yes, sir. And as I look across the auditorium this morning, I think God's doing something. And I think we are just beginning to see what God is going to be doing at Union Grove Baptist Church and other like-minded churches across the country. What is a revival? What's taking place? And what do we as God's people want to be looking for so as we think about uh, uh, this morning, and I'm not sure how far I'll, I'll get. I'm really trying to be a little more conscious about our, our timing here. 
And uh, revival, we're going to look at what we can at the past revivals biblically. I'm not looking at uh, secular, or not, I shouldn't say secular, but we're not looking at uh, uh, the colleges and those things. I want to go straight to the Word of God. What is revival? And uh, the sheet that I handed out if, uh, will actually go probably go through that more tonight for those that are here and hopefully can watch the service if you can't make it. But what is revival biblically? And I think most of us will be shocked, and that's why I did the word study on it. And uh, all, the term, all the times the word revival is used in the scriptures on that handout I gave you. What you're going to find is the Old Testament is where you really find about the issue of revival. And we're going to go to Second Chronicles 29 in just a minute and look at a revival that took place under King Hezekiah. When you look in the New Testament, the word virtually doesn't exist. There's a couple of times the word is used, but it's not talking about the kind of revivals that most of us would. If I, said, uh, uh, if I asked you the question this morning, what's revival? Well, what does revival mean to you? Most of us would come back, and of course, uh, I've been in multiple Bible colleges and seminaries and all that good stuff, and you talk about a revival, the common person is going to say, well, revival is when people are getting right with God, a massive turn towards the Lord, folks are getting saved, there's prayer meetings, and things are taking place. Now, I agree with that concept, but if you try to find that in Scripture associated with the word revival, you're going to fall short. It's not there. So what we need to do then when we're looking at the totality of Scripture, when we look at what took place in the Old Testament, how does God describe what is taking place or should take place in our churches and in our uh, uh, churches across the, not only right here locally but globally? What's taking place? And no, I'm not a globalist, by the way. I think you all know that by now. Uh, uh, but from a good, solid, godly perspective, what is revival? What does it mean? How do we uh, determine from Scripture what it is? So this is extremely important as we go in the next month. It's like uh, I, I actually changed. We were, I was starting out with the concept, same one I used last year, reaching for revival. But I'm like, I'm going to even change the terminology as we enter into next month. And instead of calling it reaching for revival, we're going to talk about spiritual awakening, which I think is a little bit closer to how we can define what God's talking about. So I have no problem with the word revival. I have no problem with the term renewal. I have no problem with the concept of spiritual growth because I think they're all biblical. But let's take a look at it. What is revival? When we talk about can we have a revival at Union Grove Baptist Church? Can we keep things moving in the right direction? We're going to try and define that this morning. What is spiritual awakening? What is spiritual renewal? What in, in are the marks, if you will? What are the lifestyles? What are the evidences of spiritual growth? Now, here's the kicker, and, and I think we can all pull it together with this last concept. And I want to ask every single person here, you're here for a reason. You didn't get up this morning, get your clothes on, get cleaned up, and come down here to be at church at 9 o'clock just to come here and fulfill an obligation. I hope not. It took some planning. It took some thinking for you to be here this morning. It took some anticipation. It took shutting down other things you could have done and said, listen, I'm going to church this morning. Now, I hope that you're here with some anticipation. I hope you're here and it's like, what can God do for me this morning? What can I do for him? How can we connect? How can we deepen our relationships with the Lord? And the question I have for all of us is, do you long for a vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a longing? When uh, uh, Heather was singing the song up here, and, and uh, I always know if it's a good song because I, I, I have to fight back going to tears when, when the words get to me, and I had to fight them back this morning, so that's a good song to me. And it's you go through heartaches, you go through trials, you go through the tears, you go through some sleepless nights, and uh, uh, over this week, and especially knowing what's going on and knowing what we're headed for in the next month. And last night I spent a great deal of time, and it's like, Lord, we just really need something marvelous to happen. We need to see a, a marvelous movement individually and corporately so that we might serve you in these last days before you come back to take us home. And folks, I am dead serious about it. I, uh, I think, I, I trust, and those of you that know me well, which I hope is most of you, I don't, I don't say things I don't mean. I don't play games when I'm up here. Every single thing that happens in this church is, is 
absolutely important and real to me as it can be. And I hope it is to you too. And I think it is or you wouldn't be here this morning. So we're going to talk about this word revival. Now, we're not going to go through the handout I gave you. Uh, we just don't have time for that again this, this evening. If you can come back, I'll spend a little more time on it. But the concept is when we look at the, and if you, you're not familiar with the middle section there, that's, that's Hebrew. And if you look at the last one on page two of your handout, that's the one Greek word mainly that's used for the word revival. And it's not frequently found. It's, it's the fact that it's infrequently found and usually does not describe what we determine to be revival. So you can look at that later. But what I want to do for this morning as we look at what has God done in the past, what is God doing in the present, and then we'll probably take a minute or two at the end to talk about prophetically what God will be doing when it comes to this concept of revival. Well, let's pray and ask God to do something in our midst this morning. Father, I pray now that as we open up the precious Word of God, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, you know it's the desire of my heart. I believe it's the desire of folks in this room this morning that they desire to have a sincere, intimate, personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit might have freedom to move within our midst this morning. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's been uh, wandering away, might they be uh, returned back to you this morning? If there's any of us whose hearts maybe have grown a bit cold and aren't on fire like they used to be to serve the Lord and to have that wonderful, intimate relationship with him, might that fire be rekindled this morning? And then, Father, if there's anyone here watching or in our midst this morning that's never received the free gift of eternal life by placing their faith and trust in what Jesus did for them, might they come to the Lord Jesus this morning and receive that free gift of eternal life. So, Father, I ask that you do what only you can do. Please, please revive the saved and save the lost in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to go to Second Chronicles 29. If you want to turn there in your Bible, we'll have most of the verses up on top. I'd like to go through the entire chapter, which we cannot do, so I'm going to split it up into the main concepts that are there. So we're going to uh, go back, way back into the Old Testament times, look at the past. What was a revival? What did it look like? What happened back in Old Testament times? And there's multiple different places we could go. But uh, 2 Chronicles 29, a King Hezekiah actually brings out some of the key elements, if you will, of what a true revival would look like. 2 Chronicles 29:1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was what? He did what was right. Now, folks, this is one of the key elements about spiritual renewal, about revival, is to do what is what? It's to do what's right. And King Hezekiah's heart was right with the Lord. King Hezekiah's actions were right with the Lord. Well, let's see what he did. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now, David was not his physical father, but he looked to uh, the line of David, and God calls uh, uh, Hezekiah, if you will, the father David, which is a common use in Old Testament scriptures. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, I want you to look now at what, what revival looks like. Here's the first thing that Hezekiah says we need to do. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and did what? He repaired them. Do you know, folks, for the last three years, many of you have been involved in sprucing this place up, fixing things, putting new uh, uh, computers and gizmos and doors and painting and uh, uh, sprucing things up. Uh, new drainage systems have been put in so we don't get water in the basement. A massive amount of work and a massive amount of resources have been put into making sure God's house is in good repair. Now, this is not the temple. This is not Old Testament times. We don't have uh, the only temple as they had back in the time of Jerusalem. But isn't it interesting that God put an emphasis on, listen, where my people are going to worship, where they're going to meet with me, 
repair the house, put it in good order. So he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. What else did he do? So he, uh, first thing, he got the, the, the place, the temple, which of course was where the Jewish people were to meet in Jerusalem, which was much, much more important, if you will, than, and I, I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but the temple was the, the center of Jewish life. The local churches across the country are not individual temples like in the Old Testament times where you had a temple. But should God's house be kept in good order? I think the principle is there. But here's what's even much, much more important. Not just the cleansing and the repair of the temple, but the what? The cleansing of God's people. So then he brought in the priests and the Levites, basically the spiritual leaders, and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now the Levites were in charge of the worship. They're in charge of the sacrificial system. These were the individuals that God had placed, if you will, in a place of leadership within the Jewish community. And here's what he says to them. He's like, listen, here's what's been going on. We've been lacking in keeping God's house in good order. We've been lacking in keeping ourselves in good spiritual order. So God says, listen, we need to not only cleanse, if you will, the temple, but we need to cleanse God's people. And here's what he says. Now, sanctify yourselves. The word sanctify, set apart, cleanse, get yourselves right. Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house, uh, uh, the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. He's like, let's clean this place up. But what's he saying at the same time? We need to clean up ourselves. He's like, we got rubbish sitting with inside of us. We need to carry it out. I mean, the, the principle is there. Not only, I mean, we know what a clean building looks like. That's real easy to tell. But how about the inside of our hearts? You can't see it, can you? You can't see what's deep down in, inside of a person. You don't know what's inside of me today. Now, uh, uh, usually uh, a person is known by their fruits. They're known by who they are. You stick around somebody long enough, you figure out who they really are. And what God is saying here, he's saying, listen, through Hezekiah, not only uh, uh, take care of the buildings, but listen, sanctify yourself. Get the rubbish out of your life. Now, folks, you say, well, that sounds kind of like that old fundy, uh, uh, super separatist kind of preaching. Well, let's, let's just be real this morning. Did sin only take place when the old fundamentalist movement was at its peak? Do people do sinful things today? Do we like to admit to it? Of course not. Is adultery okay today? No. Is fornication okay today? No. Is getting drunk and falling down okay? No. Say, well, I don't, I don't want to hear anything negative. I don't either. <laughs> but you know what? If you got rubbish inside, what comes out? Rubbish. Garbage in, garbage out. And what is God saying here? And again, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, 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 beat folks up here this morning. I'm not trying to beat myself up this morning. But what am I saying? It's like, listen, if there's garbage inside, how about cleaning up the old house? If there's garbage up here, how about cleaning it up? And that's what God's saying. Listen, priests, Levites, those of you that are in charge of the religious services in Israel, those of you who are the leaders, how are you going to lead the people? How are they going to respect who God is if there's rubbish in the house? And that's what he's saying. Listen, sanctify yourself, set yourself apart, spend some time with God alone and get that rubbish out. And that's exactly what he's saying here. What else does he say? He said, for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. He's talking about the religious leaders, the ones that were called to a positional place within the Jewish community. And he's saying our fathers, instead of, uh, uh, of walking with God, instead of loving God, instead of being good examples, they're terrible. The leadership's terrible. 
And he says they forsook him. They've turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. You want to know how to do the opposite of revival? Just turn away from him. Done with it. We go through the motions. We can show up at church and Sunday school Wednesday night. We can go to Bible studies. We can do all the good things good Christians do. But if our heart isn't right, what have we got? They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule. I like to go back a couple of years ago to COVID times. And, uh, I mean, a horrible time. But the government said shut down the churches, shut down meeting places, shut down this, shut down that. Shut, and finally, God's people said we've been shut long enough. We need to get back in the house. You see, the, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to make a political statement here. It's hard not to because politics and government plays into so much of what we do as God's people. But God's people finally said, enough's enough. We're going back to church. We're opening up the doors. We're going we're gonna to wash the windows and get them ready for the people. And we're going to start going out and reaching the community for Christ. And we're going to start doing the things that God's called us to do. Now, it wasn't out of rebellion. It wasn't out of hatred for uh, the government. It wasn't out of concern for those that were seriously sick and those that uh, had horrible outcomes. But it was about, listen, we, we can't shut down God's work just can't uh, only one life will soon be passed only what's done for christ will last now, i'm not about uh, uh, uh being uh, uh, an antagonist i'm not about fighting the government but when it comes to the point where they say uh, it's our way and not god's way then we got a problem and we got to stand up Oh, so they, they also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings of the holy place of the God of Israel. All things the law commanded for the Old Testament temple. So what were the results when God's people said, fooey on God, fooey on the temple, fooey on going uh, and doing what God has asked the Jewish people to do? Here's the results. The antithesis of revival. Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. Listen, folks, I, I, and, and here's the positive. I look around, I say, man, this is great. That, uh, that section, I think when uh, we got here a couple years ago, we had maybe 20, 30 chairs. Now we got, uh, I mean, the place is filled up with chairs, and we got a lot of folks sitting in them, and that's great. It's like things are happening. He said, well, why are you preaching about this if we're going in the right direction? So we don't go in the wrong direction. <laughs> I mean, it's like we got to keep warning each other. We got to keep on fire. We got to keep saying, listen, this isn't a one-hour deal and we're done. It's not like, well, we're all right with God. Let's move on, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we party. No, it's every single day, day by day, day by day, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, walking with God, because the second we put our guard down, you know what's going to happen? Old Satan will get in here and he'll try and tear this place apart exactly the way he did in the Jewish community before Hezekiah got back in place and started a revival within the God's people. We've got to be careful. Well, what else? Cleansing in action. And they gathered their brethren. Ah, he said, listen, let's get God's people together now. Not just the religious leaders, not just those who are in authority. Let's get God's people together and sanctify them. Let's set them apart. Let's turn our eyes on Jesus. Now you say, well, well, that's easy to say. You just got back from 10 wonderful days in Florida, getting the sun. You know what I did for those 10 days? I am the most boring guy on earth. Thank you. <laughs> So, Valerie, the first thing we, I'll tell you exactly what I did. First thing we did, we got out of bed. I take my, and I did get out of bed, believe it or not. I got my cell phone out. And uh, first day we were there, went to the, uh, I go to a, 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 a clip of dramatized Bible reading. So I started in Galatians the first day we were there. Got my colored markers out, got a brand new Bible out. 
And uh, it's like, well, every single day we're going to go through one book. And uh, we start to, to play the, uh, uh, the tape of, or the recording, if you will, off of YouTube, and it reads right through Galatians. And I'm marking my Bible as we go through, and Valerie's there right with me. We did that every single day in the morning. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, then uh, uh, we put on our little beachy clothes, and we'd walk outside, and uh, we'd each grab uh, one of the chairs, and we'd walk down about 40 yards and go to the beach and sit. You say, well, what'd you do down there for eight, ten hours a day while you're sitting there sunning yourself? I got through three books while I was down there. You say, well, that's boring. Yeah, well, to me it's not. You see, because when I go on vacation, when I go for renewal, I go down there to get my heart right with the Lord and make sure I'm walking with Him, and I look forward to that time. Did we go out to eat? Yes. Did we have some fun? Yes. But did we sit there... And for hours every single day did I read my books, study my things, and it's like, you're like, that just doesn't do it for me. Well, it does it for me. And uh, uh, when I get through, and, and I'm excited, and I'm fired up, and it's like I was reading about the inspiration of the Scriptures in one book. I was reading about the Passion Week in another book. I was reading about revivals and what had taken place in another book. And it's like by the time the 10 days were up, I mean, I was just absolutely thrilled with getting it time just to read where nobody is uh has another need and it was great and, and that's what god's saying as they gather their brethren they sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the lord to cleanse the house of the lord then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the lord why was the house of god a mess because nobody was in it it was shut down the religious leaders didn't care. The people didn't care. And by the way, if the leadership is horrible, guess what's going to follow? People aren't going to, I mean, are you going to waste your time going someplace where they don't preach the Bible? I hope not. Are you going to go someplace where a pastor doesn't care about you, or the people don't care about you, where uh, uh, God's word isn't preached and taught, where Sunday school, uh, the word of God isn't preached and taught in Bible school or, or Bible studies and Awana and the youth groups? Why waste your time going there if God's word is not being taught and people aren't on fire for God? And that's what happened, and the place fell apart. Of course, the place was a mess. Nobody was going there. And God said, listen, Hezekiah, let's get this thing back in order. Verse 17, now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. So they got together, got a little over a week's worth of work. They got the place cleaned up. It's like, let's get back to serving God. Let's get this place fired up once again, and let's do God's work once again. Now, folks, I think they call that a revival. I think the people had a revival. I think under King Hezekiah's leadership, uh, he got the people looking in the right direction. It's like, come on, guys. Come on, gals. Let's get our eyes focused on what needs to get done. Let's get it done, and let's get back to serving God. And all God's people there said, amen. they said, amen, let's do this. Well, what else did they do? Well, uh, uh, they got the house cleaned up. The people's hearts were getting uh, right. Now he said, listen. Here's what we need to do to praise God. Here's what we knew to have revival within our community. The celebration of praise and worship. Praise and worship. When Heather sang this morning, my heart was moved. When I listened to the hymns this morning, the songs, the music, Josh, I know every single week, all the musicians here, Everybody tries to get music that touches the heart, that speaks about Jesus. You'll notice the words. Most contemporary music today, you'll never hear the, the word Jesus. You might hear the word Lord. Music is important. Music, if done right, and, and is godly and centers on the person of Christ and the work of God, will draw us closer to him. Music's important. It's tremendously important. Verse 25, and he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with symbols. Wait a minute. Good Baptist church, that might get them excommunicated. <laughs> I put pictures of symbols up there. 
Now we're used to, I mean, you talk about cymbals in modern day terminology and you think of a big drum set and somebody uh, hitting the cymbals. But you know God used cymbals. Just think about it. Uh, cymbals with stringed instruments. Say, uh, why do you got guitars up on your stage? Because they're stringed instruments. And uh, they play them in a godly manner. And they do a great job and I love them. And uh, um, Dan and Jack, the ladies that play uh, the violins and uh, all the them fiddling, yeah, it's good stuff. And uh, the guitars, and it's it's all good. And uh, uh, I'm I'm trying to think, what's the one they only plays? Viola, yeah, the viola and the and the the fiddle, <laughs> the violin. No, and I'm I'm being dead serious because all that music, and then we have our singers and the worship team comes up, and it's all vitally important and uh, the, the, the piano and the keyboard and all these things and God uses music to reach into us hey uh, uh, Saul is out of his mind today he's going crazy we we need to what do we need to do and Saul said listen uh, 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 get get me some good music and David would come in and he'd get his harp going and the the heart of uh, uh, Saul would be softened and God would use music. Folks, I'm going to tell you one other thing that Valerie and I did the entire time we sat on that beach. Every single minute she had Christian music playing. Now, I won't tell you it was Southern Gospel because some of you might not like that genre, but we happen to like it. For eight hours a day while we're sitting on a beach or six hours, whatever it was, we're listening to some of our favorite music. And it, it, it moves you. And at times I'd stop reading and it's like I, I'm listening to the words and the music is touching my heart and there's a little revival that takes place. Folks, listen to good music. Listen to music that touches your heart. You say, well, well who do you recommend? I'm not going to recommend anybody today. You figure it out. And uh, 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 when my heart is touched, you say, how do you know if you got a good song going? Because it usually does one of two things. One, it, it, it either does what Heather almost made me do this morning, which is my eyes get a little bit watery, and God touches my heart, and it's like, that's sweet, it's wonderful, and that, that's how to get a little revival in my heart, or I just get happy. So I praise the Lord. You say, oh, oh Pastor Rich, would you put your hand down, please? Put your hand down. We don't do that here. Go, yeah, we do. Now, I don't do it all the time, but when God moves in my heart and I get happy and I'm praising God, yeah, the old hand might actually go up. Now you say, well, is that what you want us to do here? You do what God leads you to do. I don't care what you do with your hands. Just keep them off other your neighbor. That's about it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, if God's moving and, and all of a sudden your heart is moved and, and, and it's like it's a good thing and you know it's not just some emotional experience, but God's touching your heart and your life and it's like, praise the Lord, this is wonderful. And I try not to do that when I'm driving. But it happens. So he had uh, cymbals with stringed instruments and with harps according to the commandment of David, the Gad of, uh, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. And thus was the commandment of the Lord by the prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. So what's the next piece of this? So they're bringing their offerings back to God. God said, listen, and this was, of course, under Jewish law, and I'm not preaching Jewish law here this morning, but under Jewish law, 10% of everything the Jews got went to who? It went to God. So uh, not only that, but they had a very strong sacrificial system. And the sacrifices weren't being done. And God said, listen, you better get that sacrificial system. And God's people got right with God. They had a revival. And not only did they uh, sanctify themselves, not only did they clean up the temple, not only did they clean up themselves, not only did they worship with wonderful godly music, but they did what else God had commanded them to do, which is to bring their offerings to the Lord. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. All the assembly, what? Worship. Now folks, we have a 2023 version of what in our minds is worship. And I'm not going to get into the concept this morning except from a 30,000-foot level. What is worship? 
looking down at Mark right now, Duncan. And every time I hear you pray, Mark, it always is worshipful. It's very strong about who God is. It's honoring God for who he is. It's honoring God for his attributes. It's focusing on who God is. That's worship. Worship is seeing him for who he is, and not in some fake, false, pietistic way, but, oh, I realize who God is, and we worship him. We put him, if you will, on the pedestal where he belongs. We put him in uh, high above us and lift it up where none of us are. And it's we worship him and we thankful to him. And, and it's amazing at who God is. And all of a sudden, when that hits our hearts, when that penetrates our minds, when that gets into our soul, if you will, it's an amazing time of praising God and worshiping him. The singers sang, the trumpeter sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped. Bowed. They bowed. They prostrated themselves before the almighty holy God. It wasn't the big man in the sky. It wasn't, yeah, God's my buddy. This was worship. This was bowing the knee before an almighty God, the creator of the universe, the creator of us, the one that we are to worship and put before us. He's everything. He is everything. And the people's hearts were moved and they're challenged by what had been taking place and what takes place. They all who were present with him bowed and worshiped. Now, you have to figure out what that means to you. I know what it means to me. But there's times when you realize the holiness of God, who he is, and all of a sudden the massiveness of who God is and the puniness of who we are hits. And it's like, well, Rich, you're, you're a big guy. You're, you're, you're bigger than most folks. And, and you should feel powerful and strong and, ah, not before God. Before God, I'm just a little pusillanimous ant. I'm a nothing. And by the way, the size of a person does not tell the size of their heart and their walk with God. It could be the smallest person on earth who has a heart for God and loves God and bows themselves and worships God. And that's pleasing and acceptable to our Lord. And they began to, what else did they, they do? Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with what? Gladness. Praise the Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for supplying our needs. In American culture, we spend most of well, I didn't get a Maserati this week. I didn't get a $100,000 raise. I didn't get a new house. I didn't get this. I didn't get that. How come they got this? How come they got that? And we get our minds focused on everything except what God wants us to do. These folks got happy. <laughs> they got happy. It's like, praise the Lord. Thank you so much. They sang with gladness, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped God. Can I invite you to go home today? When you get home, maybe it's when you wake up. Maybe it's when you go to bed. Maybe it's in the afternoon, whatever works for you. And you slip off into your bedroom or your closet or whatever outside or some private place where you can meet with God. And you just spend time with him. And you read his word and you pray and it's like, I've tried that, but I don't feel the presence of God. Well, just keep reading. Just keep praying. Just keep singing. And, and just keep listening to good music. And, and it may take an hour. may take two hours. may take 10 days. may take two weeks. may take a month. And you just keep pouring yourself into it. And all of a sudden, uh, 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 God is going to get a hold of your little pea-picking heart and the Holy Spirit's going to move on you. And you're going to say, praise the Lord. It's there. And he is there. He is there. And folks, he's waiting for you. Remember the prodigal son? Daddy said, uh, 
Man, my boy's messed up. I'm going to give him all his inheritance. He's out of here. Dad's heart's broke. And the boy runs off and uh, he spends all his money on sinful pleasures. All his money's gone. He didn't get a job. He didn't invest wisely. He just decided to waste his life. And all of a sudden, you remember the account? How does he end up? Goes work at a little pig farm and says, hey, can I eat the mush that the pigs are eating? And then he says, you know, I want to go back home to daddy. I want to go home to dad. My dad ain't going to like me anymore. Probably going to kick me out and never let me come back. The boy begins to head back towards daddy's home and his brother's there and he says, oh my goodness, here comes that bad guy, my rotten, stinky brother. And daddy sees his son coming. His son, his son. And daddy says, no. Is that, is that my boy? He don't look like my boy. He's all skinny. He looks filthy and dirty. His clothes are all torn up. But I think it's my boy. Is that my boy? And what does he do? He, he jumps off the stairs. He runs down and he comes up to his boy and he grabs him and hugs him and says, my son's returned. Folks, that's what God's waiting for some of us to do. God's up there waiting and he says, listen, son, listen, daughter, just I'm waiting for you. The revival's waiting. Just come on home. I'm waiting for you. And God says, my arms are open wide. My heart is open wide. I'm just waiting for you to come back to me. Folks, that's revival. Celebration of thankful offerings. And Hezekiah answered and said, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart, brought burnt offerings. Well, a great celebration. What happened? So the service of the house of the Lord was set in what? Set in order the things that are lacking. Put it in order. Now you say, well, pastor, what does this mean to us here at Union Grove Baptist Church? What it means is I think we're doing overall a pretty good job here. I think overall people's hearts are in the right place. I think overall you love the Lord. I think overall we love people. I think overall our music is God honoring. I think overall our ministries are all honoring to God and pleasing to him. But you know I left a little bit of a window in how I said that. Why? Because God's people, if we're at this level right now, why can't we be here? We say, well, that's a little more work. It's a little more time. It's a little more sacrifice. And all God's people said? Amen. Folks, it's there. It's waiting for us. It's right at the door. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. It was in a moment. All of a sudden, God's people, their hearts were tweaked. Their hearts were set on fire for God. Their life was changed. Revival passed. You say, now wait a minute, Pastor. I think you got two more points on present and prophetic. But I think we're going to stop right here. And now I'm going to get a whole bunch of amens. But folks, here's why we're going to stop right now. Bethany, can you get to the last slide, please? There's the question. There's the question. What are you going to do with Jesus today, Christian? The vast majority of everybody sitting here this morning is a Christian. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you're to die, that you go to heaven. Between you and God and God alone, this is none of my business. This is you and God right now. How's your relationship with him? How's it relate? When you look at everything that took place for the revival that happened during Hezekiah's time back in the Old Testament, and again, a lot of those things were, were dealing with Old Testament law, which we don't deal with today. But many of them are, were, and the principles are there. How's your heart with God? Does this book excite you as much today as it did when you first got saved? 
Just telling folks about Jesus excites you today. Yeah, listen, you know what's going to happen when you get on fire for God? It's like, you know, man, I struggle in Sunday school. Bernie and I were going to do part two after I do a couple introductory things about sharing the gospel with folks, starting conversations. How do you tell folks how to come to Christ? How do you share the gospel? And, and, and many of us, we get so cold and we get scared, and it's like, I can't. Do you know what happens when you get excited about something? Play with me a minute. How many of you like the Packers? Come on, be honest. How many like them? Can I hear some noise? How many like the Packers? All right. You say, why'd you do that? For a point. And you were rather sedate, might I tell you. If we walked out of here today, and it was the final game of the season for the Green Bay Packers, they're either going to win or lose. Everything rides on this game. Uh, you know what would happen this afternoon? We'd all be in front of our television. Not all, some don't like the Packers or care about it, but a good portion of us would be sitting in front of our television sets watching the game. Woo, come on, come on, throw that ball. Watch it, watch it. Hey, and, and I mean, we're screaming and yelling and we're getting into the television set and like they can hear you. And, and, and we get so excited about those things. It's like, woo, come on, man. And, and, and you, I mean, you get so excited. And they start a touchdown. What happens when the other team scores a touchdown? Oh, man. And we get emotional. Hey, Valerie, do you know what I read in here this morning? Woo! How many of you have a hallelujah fit when you read your Bible? Yes. Huh? How about when you play some good Christian music and it's like, praise the Lord, that was good stuff. That's a great, I mean, you put it in and it's like, folks, we can get all cranked up. We can get excited about everything. Can we get excited about God? Listen, and I'm closing for real. If we all got on fire for God, if we spent that time with him, if we spend a little bit of time, a little bit more time focusing on who God is, getting excited about who he is, you know how easy it becomes to tell others about a great thing that you enjoy? Do you know how much you talk to other people you've never even met before at a sports stadium? Hey, great play. High five the guy next to you. You've never met him before. When you love Jesus more than anything else in this world, when he means more to you than anything else in this world, hey, brother, hey, ba hey, man, hey, sister, and they're not your sister or brother yet, but you even call them that. Why? Because you get so excited about who God is and you want to share your faith with him and you want to spend more time with your father, your heavenly father, and loving God and, and asking the Holy Spirit to move in your life during the week. Can God do it now? Yes. Father, thank you for your love for us. Father, I pray as we prepare our hearts for a month centered on looking inward to get our hearts right, as we look around us to help others with their walk with the Lord, as we center on looking up and getting real with you, as we then have our hearts right with you and with those around us and with our self with you, then we can reach out and reach even more folks with the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you need some revival in your heart this morning? Right there we are. Why don't you start it? Draw a little ring around yourself and say, Lord, start that revival in my heart this morning. Start that spiritual awakening in my heart this morning. Help me to be what you call me to be. Help me to love you like uh, Hezekiah. Uh, uh, help me to do uh, the things that match up with the word of God. Finally, if you're here this morning or you're listening on the internet, if you died right now, where would you go? You see, all these things we talked about mean nothing if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. You've got to have that relationship with him before any of this means anything. How'd you like to start that relationship with him this morning? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, it's very simple. Let me ask you one question. It'll define where you're at. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Would you go to heaven? 
you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you died right now, that you go to heaven. You say, Brother Rich, i got to be honest, I don't know. Well, wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you like to start that relationship? Well, here's what you need to do. Four quick things, take me 30 seconds. Number one, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. And because we've sinned, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would burn in an awful place called the lake of fire, Revelation 21, 8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Why did Jesus do that? Because he loves you this morning, and he wants to take you to heaven. God has a free gift he wants to give you this morning, and here's what the gift is. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace, God's free unmerited gift, are you saved? Saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of our works, lest any person should boast. You say, Brother Rich, I've never heard that before. I thought I had to work my way to heaven. I thought I had to do my best, and maybe I'll get to heaven someday. Well, my friend, how about let's do it God's way right now? I just gave you the verses. Jesus makes it so clear. The only way to heaven is through placing your faith and trust in what he did for you. All you need to do is reach out and take that free gift. Are you ready this morning to trust in him? Are you ready to receive the free gift of eternal life? You say, Brother Rich, that's exactly what I've been looking for. Would you, by faith right now, do you understand you're a sinner? Do you understand the penalty of sin, which is hell? I know it's not politically correct, but it's biblically spot on. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, went to the cross and died for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose again? You say, I do believe that. Well, then take that free gift this morning. Place your faith and trust alone in what Jesus did for you. Are you doing it this morning? Are you receiving that free gift by faith? Say, yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I want it. I'm, I'm reaching out. I'm taking that free gift this morning. Well, then how about let's, uh, let's thank God for what he's doing in your heart right now. We're going to say a simple prayer of thanksgiving. The prayer will not take you to heaven, but your faith certainly will. So let's document uh, our faith and thank God if you've received that free gift this morning. Maybe you'd like to pray silently something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And I'm taking that free gift, that promise you gave in Ephesians 2 this morning, and I'm receiving that free gift by placing my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross for me. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, would you help all of us to be busy about your work? Help us to be busy about spending time with you this week. And then, Father, I pray that you'd help every single one of us to reach out to our friends and our neighbors and our workmates and our schoolmates as we tell them the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus...